Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. If you're hearing this, you are one of over 13,000 people who downloaded this podcast, and I'm very pleased and hope everyone is enjoying the show and learning some of the wonderful history of the great state of Texas. Today, we're going to discuss an event that occurred back in 1837 that was typical of the fighting spirit and the sense of honor of the early Texans. The event involves two men who were absolutely dedicated to Texas. So let's go back to 1837 and meet these guys and get wise about Texas. The first person we're going to get to know is Albert Sidney Johnston. He was born in Washington, Kentucky on February 2nd, 1803, and he had a very strict religious upbringing in the Presbyterian Church. In fact, his grandfather once resigned as postmaster because the job started requiring him to open mail on Sundays, which he could not do in good conscience. Johnston himself used to tell people a story about his own childhood and that he was renowned as the best marble player in the area. At one point, he had won a whole jar full of marbles. He made the decision then and there that he would proceed to win all the marbles in Kentucky and then the whole wide world. So he buried his jar of marbles, keeping just enough to get started in his conquest, He then got in a game with a boy who must have been rich, he thought, because he never ran out of marbles, no matter how much young Johnston was winning. After Johnston had finally won all of the kids' marbles, he went back to bury him in the same place and discovered that the other boy had actually seen him bury the first jar, and he had dug it up and used the marbles to play against Johnston. So Johnston learned that his greed and vanity had led to his winning back his own marbles, at least in his mind. And perhaps that lesson led him to a reputation as measured and thoughtful in the future. He started his education at Transylvania University, but transferred to West Point and graduated in 1826. He got married in 1829, and he saw his first engagements in the Black Hawk War. Now, the Black Hawk War occurred when some Indians crossed into northern Illinois to some land they had given up in an earlier treaty. Illinois called out the militia and engaged the Indians, finally defeating them after several engagements. One individual in the Illinois militia at that time, by the way, was Abraham Lincoln, though he did not see combat in that war. Johnston resigned from the Army to take care of his ailing wife, and after her death, moved to Texas in 1836, where he again joined the Army. Now, Johnston appeared to have had a place in his heart for the freedom that Texas offered. Two of Johnston's brothers had actually participated in the Gutierrez-McGee expedition in 1812. Now, briefly, that was a filibustering expedition into Spanish Texas, and after that expedition, which lasted about a year, Texas was never really peaceful again until until it achieved its independence. Anyway, Johnston arrived in Texas in July 1836, and he was traveling, by the way, with Leonard Gross. You'll recall from earlier episodes, Leonard Gross owned, along with others in his family, the Bernardo and the Leendo plantations near present-day Hempstead. The Grosses had supplied the Texian army on its way to San Jacinto, and it was on their plantation that the Texian army acquired the twin sister cannons from the people of Cincinnati. Johnston traveled with Gross to his plantation, where another interesting event occurred that illustrates Johnston's fighting spirit. While at the Bernardo plantation, Johnston and Gross were in the house when they heard a tremendous commotion outside. They grabbed their guns and ran outside to find some of Gross's dogs in a battle with a mountain lion. Now, today we use the term mountain lion a lot because we don't really see them anywhere else but the mountains. But back in 1836, they were often called American lions or pumas. 
and you saw them everywhere. Well, the dogs were not doing well in the fight. Johnston fired and hit the mountain lion in its jaw, but the lion kept attacking. So Johnston jumped into the middle of the fight, turned his gun around, and beat the lion to death with his rifle. Johnston escaped without a scratch, and as you might imagine, he and Leonard Gross were good friends from there on. Apparently, Gross had that lion mounted, and that is a serious Texas history artifact that would be interesting to find. So if any of you listeners out there know what happened to the Johnston lion, please let me know. Johnston met the Texas Army on Coletto Creek near Goliad. And here's another situation that exemplifies Johnston's unassuming character. When he arrived in Texas, Johnston had several letters of introduction, which, before LinkedIn and email, was how people networked when they traveled. Personal friends of Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston, and Thomas Rusk had given Johnston letters of introduction. Instead of presenting these letters and likely entering the Army as an officer, Johnston just quietly entered the Texas Army camp and enlisted as a private. And he became a private in the cavalry because he possessed a particular quality that suited him for the cavalry, that is, he owned a horse. Now, at this time, the Texas Army was split into factions, which is probably too complicated to detail in this episode, but remember that the Texas Army wasn't made up entirely of noble soldiers fighting solely for the ideals of freedom. They were largely volunteers, and they were guaranteed land, so a lot of them was, were fighting for land, and maybe they were fighting for freedom or trying to escape something back in the United States. Maybe they were fighting for glory, or maybe they were fighting just because they liked it. One author uh, back in the 1800s wrote that, quote, all the motives that impel men to desperate enterprises, close quote, were present in the Texas Army. But without question, the Texas Army were incredible fighters. And they were also men, as you might expect, of very strong opinions. Many in the Army wanted a military government instead of the provisional civil government that was in place right after San Jacinto. So Texas had a problem. Well, Sam Houston had been wounded at San Jacinto, and he had traveled to New Orleans to recover, so he was out of the Republic. The Army was going to need a new commander. Secretary of War Thomas Rusk had taken command of the Army, but someone was needed that could calm down the various factions. The government, the civil government, chose Marabou B. Lamar. Now, Lamar had served with some heroics at San Jacinto and was thought to be popular, at least by the government. Lamar showed up in camp only to find out that he wasn't quite as popular as everyone thought. Well, true to Texas form, the election of the commander was put to a vote of the army, and the majority did not want Lamar, so Rusk had to stay in command. Now, it turns out that the leader of the faction against Lamar, the military-minded members of the army, was a man named Felix Houston. Now, that's spelled H-U-S-T-O-N, and I've always heard it pronounced Houston. Houston was born in Kentucky about 1800. He became a lawyer, and he had a law practice in Natchez, Mississippi. And if you recall from the last episode, Thomas Chambers reported to the people of Texas that he had met with Houston in Natchez, and convinced him to aid the Texas cause. Now, David Burnett would later challenge Chambers on that, and it turns out that was rightful. Felix Houston had sent Sam Houston a letter back in 1835 that promised aid to Texas, and it turns out that Felix Felix Houston had spent his own money raising hundreds of volunteers along with Jim Bowie's brother, Reason Bowie. Now, Reason is spelled R-E-Z-I-N, so... 
uh, all you expectant Texas moms out there, can we please bring back the name Reason? I think that's wonderful. So Reason Bowie and Felix Houston were raising men for Texas. And Houston's letter made it clear that many in the South were interested in Texas as an extension of Southern political power in the United States, hopefully, eventually. So it turns out that Sam Houston and Felix Houston had been in contact well ahead of Chambers' visit in 1836. So Felix Houston's men, along with Reason Bowie, traveled to Texas, but they arrived well after the Battle of San Jacinto. They did arrive, however, right in the middle of the discord between the military and the government. As I mentioned above, Felix Houston led the faction against Lamar in the debate about who would command the army. And again, now Sam Houston is not present at this time. Later that year, though, Sam Houston returned to Texas and is inaugurated as the first president of the newly organized republic. So you'll recall from earlier episodes of Wise About Texas that the Congress met in Columbia in the fall of 1836. Houston appointed Thomas Rusk Secretary of War for the New Republic, and he then appointed Felix Houston as the temporary commander of the Army. Now think about this. We all know that Lamar and Houston didn't like each other at all, and Felix Houston had opposed Lamar in camp for his position as commander, and that, of course, Lamar was Burnett in the the, uh, provisional government's pick for commander. Houston didn't like Burnett either, So Felix Houston would have been a great anti-Lamar pick, or so Sam Houston thought at first. As the months passed, it became apparent that Felix Houston was a military-minded guy of a fairly hot temper. And remember, his faction of the Army wanted the Army to run things over a civil government. Also, the Army had about 2,000 men in it that the government could ill afford to pay. The Army was also spoiling for another fight. They were not done with Mexico, and Felix Houston definitely agreed with that sentiment. Noise was being made a lot by Houston uh, talking about invading Mexico in Matamoros. There was frequent conflict and disorder in the Texas Army camp, which often involved that favorite Texas combination of whiskey and knives. So new President Houston had to do something to calm down the Army and gain some sort of order and control. So Houston decided that the Army's quartermaster, Albert Sidney Johnston, might make a good commander. So on January 31st, 1837, Houston appointed Johnston as the senior general, with Felix Houston being the junior general reporting to Johnston. You can imagine how this decision went over with Felix Houston. Not well. In fact, Felix Houston felt he had no other choice but to issue a challenge. Now let me take a minute and talk a little bit about dueling. In its most basic form, a duel is an arranged and sort of formal fight between two people. They usually pick the same weapons and agree to some rules, which will resolve whatever disagreement it is that they have. As firearms became more prevalent, dueling went from swords to pistols, and the goal of a duel believe it or not, is not necessarily to kill the other guy, and certainly not to be killed, but more to risk your life over a matter of honor. Now, of course, injury or death in those circumstances was bound to occur. And another problem is that the more gentlemen that fought duels meant that more gentlemen would be injured and killed and unable to serve in the military or the government. So dueling was gaining growing disfavor. Um... 
In fact, in 1804, the sitting Vice President Aaron Burr killed the former Secretary of the Treasury of the United States, Andrew Hamilton, in a duel. But insults to one's honor often called for a challenge to a duel. In fact, uh, Sam Houston himself, as you might imagine, was challenged to many duels throughout his life, but he only fought one, and that was back in Kentucky in 1827 against a guy named William White, who Houston had predictably insulted in a political speech. And uh, Houston practiced for that duel at Andrew Jackson's plantation, the Hermitage. Um, Houston wounded White but didn't kill him. Houston was then indicted for a crime, uh, but the governor of Kentucky refused to, to arrest Sam Houston for his winning that duel. So back to Texas and Camp Independence, which is the name of the camp where the Texas Army had a new commander in Albert Sidney Johnston, courtesy of President Sam Houston. General Felix Houston received his new superior officer with good manners, but sent Johnston a letter upon his arrival. Houston, Felix Houston wrote to Johnston saying that everything would have been okay except that Johnston's appointment had been accomplished with, quote, a tissue of treachery and misrepresentation, close quote, and that Johnston had taken a tainted appointment that was intended to hurt Houston's reputation and character. Felix Houston informed Johnston that Johnston represented this insult to Houston's character and that Houston could not stand by and let this occur. So Houston wrote to Johnston, quote, I therefore propose a meeting between us in as short a period as you can make convenient, close quote. That was a challenge to a duel. Now, Johnston was a man of refinement and manners, but as the new commander of a fractious and rough-and-tumble army, he certainly knew he couldn't back down from this. Johnston immediately sent a letter back. Now, remember, these guys are steps away from each other in the same camp. But Johnston sends a letter back to Houston accepting the duel. It's a five-line letter, and he designates 7 a.m. the following morning. And it was, all, it was almost as if Johnston expected the challenge. Oh, and one other thing had happened. Immediately upon arriving in camp, Johnston had the general order from Houston that appointed him commander. He had it read to the troops assembled. So if Felix Houston hadn't been mad enough to fight before, he was surely mad when he was uh, after that happened, because that would have embarrassed him severely. And he wrote the letter shortly after that. Now, here's another little tidbit. Felix Houston later was talking about this to President Jefferson Davis, and Houston told Davis that his real desire was to challenge Sam Houston to a duel, but since Houston wasn't available, uh, Felix Houston decided that Albert Sidney Johnston should be held responsible and answer for that appointment. Well, Albert Sidney Johnston was not thought to be a really good marksman, but Felix Houston, on the other hand, was considered an expert. There were also, surprisingly, no dueling pistols in the Texian camp. I know Lamar had some dueling pistols, and I'll put a picture of those on the show's website. Anyway, they, they decided to use the pistols that Felix Houston had, and they called them horse pistols. So Felix Houston was a known expert shot, and Johnston agreed to use his opponent's pistols. Um, now, I will say that after looking at some Civil War writings about Johnston, maybe Johnston wasn't that bad a shot after all. But anyway, um, he truly put himself at a disadvantage with Houston's pistols. So at the appointed time the next day, the parties and their friends rode across the Lavaca River, and they took their position. Now, one witness recalled that Felix Houston had his dark coat buttoned up so he wouldn't be as easy a target, but Johnston took his coat off 
and stood there proudly in a white shirt and almost daring Felix Houston further. So as a matter of honor, Felix Houston had to remove his coat, which apparently made him angry. Uh, Now, because the pistols belonged to Houston, the rules were that each party had to fire from the hip. Now, that sounds like that equalizes them, but it really doesn't. Houston was the better marksman, so it was thought to give Houston an advantage. Well, Johnston had a trick. He raised his pistol very quickly to try and get Felix Houston to fire without taking careful aim, and it worked, and Houston missed him on the first shot, and so did Johnston. So again they loaded, and again Johnston drew quickly, forcing Houston to shoot quickly. They both missed. This happened five times. Five times Johnston drew Houston's fire, and both parties missed, although once Johnston did graze Houston's ear. Now, Houston could have, as the challenger, ended the duel at any time and declared the matter settled and his honor satisfied, but he didn't. At the sixth shot, Houston's ball found its mark, and Johnston went down with a bullet through his hip. Now, Felix Houston is reported to have immediately approached Johnston and declared his willingness to be his junior officer and his regret for what had happened. Now, why he didn't do that before, who knows. Johnston was seriously wounded. It turns out he took a bullet in the front of his pelvis, but it passed through without hitting the bone. But it did severely damage his sciatic nerve. And Johnston was taken to the nearby town of Texana, and he was on the brink of death and remained on the brink of death for several weeks, but he did eventually recover. Felix Houston was apparently very upset by the result of that duel. He was very agitated upon returning to the camp, and he was unable to accept Uh, many of the congratulations that the men offered him since they favored him in the earlier votes. Uh, Someone in the Army issued a ration of whiskey after that duel, but uh, presumably Houston had nothing to do with that. Well, interestingly, Johnston and Felix Houston basically made up and worked together after the duel. Um, Houston continued to serve as commander in Johnston's absence, and... uh, advocated an invasion of Matamoros. Now, i got to tell you a story about this. Felix Houston really wanted to invade Mexico. And remember I said that the Republic could ill afford to pay the 2,000 or so troops in the Army. So Houston came, Felix Houston came to see Sam Houston and tell him that he wa- we should invade Mexico. While Felix Houston was the guest of President Sam Houston, Sam Houston sent an emissary down to Camp Independence, unbeknownst to Felix Houston, and he furloughed the army. So when Houston returned, when Felix Houston returned to camp, there was no army to command, and that was that story is always considered one of Sam Houston's most cunning uh, moves. But uh, the truth of the matter is a little more complicated than that. And actually, uh, Johnston and Houston together had requested that Sam Houston furlough some of the members of the army. So. As with every Texas story, there's a little more to it. But suffice to say, no matter how it actually happened, Felix Houston uh, returned with many fewer men under his command and was fairly upset with Sam Houston. Um, Houston did later take command of the troops in one of the most, if, if not the most, pivotal battles in the continuing Texas war against the Comanche Indians, and that was the Battle of Plum Creek. Now, I'm going to cover that battle and the Great Raid of 1840 in a different episode, but in August of 1840, quickly outside of Lockhart, Texas, 
uh, Houston arrives to take command of the volunteers assembled to fight the uh, large Comanche warp party. And it was the largest raiding party ever assembled by the Comanches. And uh, Houston led the troops in that fight where they defeated the Comanches and basically broke the back of the Comanche nation, at least militarily. Well, shortly after that, Houston left Texas and reestablished his law practice in Natchez, Mississippi, and he eventually passed away in 1857. Albert Sidney Johnston, however, uh, regained his health and remained in command of the Texas Army when Marabou B. Lamar was elected as the second president of the Republic. He named Johnston Secretary of War. Johnston then returned to Kentucky, got married again, brought his second wife back to Texas, and settled in Brazoria County. He entered, after Texas entered the United States, Johnston entered the United States Army, and he served with some distinction as a colonel in the Mexican War. He also fought in a cavalry unit. He took part in the Utah campaign, and he stayed in Utah uh, for a couple of years, then was stationed in San Francisco, and that's about the time the Civil War broke out. And when the Civil War broke out, Johnston was offered a command by the U.S. Army, but instead, ever loyal to Texas, he resigned his commission and returned to Austin. In Austin, uh, President Jefferson Davis gave Johnston the rank of general, and placed him in charge of the Western Department of the Confederacy. Now, General Johnston had to move his forces to Nashville and later into Mississippi, and on April 6th, 1862, came the Battle of Shiloh. In that battle, Johnston led 40,000 Confederates near the Pittsburgh Landing on the Tennessee River. Johnston led a charge in what was called the Peach Orchard, or the Peach Orchard part of the battlefield, And one account holds that Johnston, Isham Harris, and John Breckinridge were leading that charge. Now, that would have made it the highest-ranking charge maybe in American military history because Isham Harris was the current governor of Tennessee, and John Breckinridge had been vice president of the United States under James Buchanan. And incidentally, in that same battle, the governor of Kentucky, George Johnson, was killed at Shiloh. He was volunteering as a private with some of his men from Kentucky. Well, as Johnston led the charge, he was shot in the back of the leg. Now, here's the problem. Because of Johnston's wound, suffered in the duel with Felix Houston, he had sciatic nerve damage, as I mentioned earlier, and due to that nerve damage, he couldn't feel the wound and didn't realize he'd been shot. The other problem was that Johnston was wearing the typical cavalry boots, the high boots of a mounted soldier, So the wound wasn't bleeding, apparently, from the outside in a significant way. The blood was running down his leg into his boot. It wasn't until some of the men noticed Johnston under a tree, slumped over in his saddle, that it was apparent something was very wrong. He was immediately taken to the surgeon, and when his boot was removed, it was filled with blood. And it turns out that the bullet had hit an artery, and Johnston shortly lost consciousness and bled to death there on the field. Now there is some question whether he was shot by enemy or friendly fire. If it was friendly fire, he wouldn't be the only Confederate soldier to be shot by friendly fire. But there's really a significant question whether in reality it was ultimately that duel with Felix Houston that did him in. Now we come to the segment of the show called Getting There, where I tell you how to visit a couple of the places mentioned in the episode. 
General Albert Sidney Johnston is buried in the Texas State Cemetery, which is located at 909 Navasota Street in, near downtown Austin, Texas. I highly recommend a visit to the Texas State Cemetery. It's absolutely a beautiful place. And just walking through reading the tombstones, you can learn a lot about Texas history. Johnston's grave is very easy to find. It's got an Elizabeth Ney sculpture of the general in repose, and which adorns the top of his tomb. And the tomb is enclosed by glass in a white wrought iron enclosure. Johnston's portrait also hangs in the Senate chamber of the Texas Capitol. Felix Houston is buried in the Rodney Burying Ground near Washington, Mississippi in Adams County. Now, I've not been there, but I believe Houston's grave is unmarked, which I think is a shame because he did uh, advocate on behalf of Texas. Now, the duel between Johnston and Houston took place near the Lavaca River, near a giant oak tree known now appropriately as the Dueling Oak. The Dueling Oak is located in Jackson County. It's off a small road off of FM 234 south of Highway 59, uh, about near Edna, Texas. And you can see the oak from the road. Now, here's here's a better way to find it. Google Famous Texas Trees. And you will go to a Texas A&M Forest Service website and uh, you can find the Dueling Oak and find a map to it. And you can see it from the road. It's on private property, but you can see it. Now, the camp where Johnston took command of the Army was called Camp Independence. It was located on present-day FM 3065, just outside Edna, Texas, uh, due east of the Dueling Oak, obviously. Uh, Go south on FM 1822 out of Edna off of Highway 59. Turn right on County Road 306 and then right again on FM 3065. And just up the road, there is a historical marker marking the site of Camp Independence. Well, that wraps up another episode of Wise About Texas. Thanks again for joining over 13,000 downloaders of this podcast. Now, Wise About Texas will always be free, but if you'd like to support the show financially, please go to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash wiseabouttexas. Please like and share the show's Facebook page and follow the show on Twitter at wiseabouttexas. If you get a minute, leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends to get wise about Texas. So until next time, God bless Texas and we'll see you down the road.